Hello, Black and Blurred listeners. Brandon here. Today's episode is a bit of a special one because I'm doing it with a beloved sister of ours. But I'll get into that during the episode. You'll get introduced to her. But at the end of this episode, I'm going to make a pitch to you all and to many others to the church um, for a special fundraising opportunity. Uh, And I pray that you would uh, consider joining us in this. Um, I'm going to give all the details in the episode, but I just wanted to let you know on the front end of this um, that there is a sister in need. um, And I'm making a pitch to all of us uh, to consider contributing uh, to that need that it would be met uh, in the way the Lord provides for all of his children. So I appreciate you considering it. I thank you for listening to this episode, and I hope that you enjoy it and are edified. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Black and Blurred. You didn't hear Darren interrupt me because he's not with me right now. Um, we're doing a special episode for you, though. I've, I've mentioned my guest on this episode multiple times in different contexts, um, one of which is the paintings that you've seen. And if you've watched any of our recorded uh, video podcast episodes and you see that I'm in my unfinished man cave uh, allowed by my wife (laughs) but it's decorated with some paintings of our logo um, and those paintings were done by a dear sister of ours um, that I have with me now on this podcast and I am very grateful to have you here with us or with me Hilda (laughs) finally 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 so so great to be here again and to see how your studio is slowly evolving oh yes you've been here in the very beginning yes Yes, I have. But I praise God for what I see so far and how, um, yeah, some of the episodes that I've listened to, mm-hmm. I see that the professionalism, the studio is growing. Mm. So I'm sure the Lord is taking black and blurred. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, we've gotten a lot of encouragements from people. Um, and then there are also people who are silently hating us. <laughs> always have this (laughs) yeah yeah um i was just you and i were just talking about just this or i was sharing with you about my feelings for this area the dc ness and the dc culture um and i hate it i hate it 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 seems like it brings out really what is in the heart of man yeah uh it squeezes that out to be in a place like dc but basically when you go around the, I don't know about the rest of the country, but mm-hmm. around the world, you would find, you know, some similarities. I think some of it has to do with um, twenty-four-hour news channels, oh, social man. media, wow. people living with this constant influx of information, that's right. yeah. and so we can't help it. Yeah, that's right. I I miss the days when I could go into like a. Um, a fun-ish restaurant like a Friday's or a sports type of bar or something like that, and there were sports on the TV. Mm. You just, but now it's news, and it's it's muted. Like you can't even hear what they're saying. And some people don't have captions on, but they just have it there. Yeah. 
it just sits on you. But okay, let's not get too heavy too quickly. Because although I have talked you up a bit on some episodes here, um, I want to give you an opportunity to share who you are. Um, and then I'm going to like kind of let's walk people through like your journey in the Lord because you are a sister in the faith and the Lord has grown your faith um, tremendously. And something that I love about the fact that I hate this area is that, that I have had siblings to help ground me and kind of feel like home and also yearn to be at home mm-hmm. simultaneously. And you are definitely one of them. So I appreciate I'm grateful to the Lord for you. Um, but share with the people um, just where you come from, a little bit about yourself. Right. Thank you so much. Again, thank you for having me on Black and Blurred. Um, my name is Hilda B. My father's name is Molo. Mm-hmm. I was born in a small town in Cameroon. Cameroon is somewhere on the west central side of Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a complicated colonial history. Mm-hmm. Some people say we're West African, some say we're Central African, mm-hmm. but that's a story for another day. So I grew up in Bamenda, Cameroon, up until I finished high school. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm the second of nine children. Yikes. <laughs> and uh, I come from a big loving family um my family is one of the greatest blessings that i looking back can really count mm. uh because i also grew up living with muscular dystrophy mm. which is a degenerative disease so from around about the age of 4 or 5 i started noticing difficulty with my walking and holding things mm. and since then it's been um growing it's been progressing yeah so i really needed that kind of a family to hold me and to walk me through up until this point Uh, so i moved to the usa uh, close to four years ago um well that's about it i came to know the lord while i was in high school which Mm -hmm. is like 20 something years ago yeah wow yeah, I'm that old. I mean, I'm not far <laughs> behind you. You said it was 20 years ago. I'm, I'm thinking about the fact that we had a like a 15 year anniversary. I think. Wait, is that maybe? I don't know. It was a while ago. Um, but yeah, I'm not far. I'm not far behind you. Yeah, yeah. The Lord graciously saved me and um, showed me that even in a life like mine, He can fulfill His plans. Mm. He can do great things. Um, after high school, I went on to university. It's called university where I come from, and uh, I I studied journalism and mass communication. After that, I worked with uh, radio and television mm. for about fifteen years. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's. Basically, the life that I've lived thus far, still excited to see where the Lord is leading. You are um, someone who has most certainly grown um, my understanding of weakness. And that that statement might sound weird to people who don't know us, don't know our relationship. But um, one thing that I, I certainly understood you know, in the beginning of my faith, and that is it's also grown is like poor spirit, right? And Jesus says, blessed are the, the poor in mm-hmm, spirit, mm-hmm. Um, recognizing that, hey, you're going to want to try to do things to earn God's love and earn, grant yourself into his presence. And you're actually blessed when you realize you're spiritually bankrupt because then you need someone to provide for you. Right. 
And that same principle goes when it comes to strength. And weakness. Yeah, and weakness. Tell tell us a little bit about, you know, how God has <laughs> shaped your view oh on strength my, and weakness. Oh, my God. It's, <laughs> it is what I consider one of the greatest miracles of um, salvation for me. Mm. Because I came from a place of total resistance. Mm of God's, um, God's ways and God's strength. Uh, I grew up going to church, you know, but particularly when I started losing the ability to move around and do things the way I wanted to, I felt like God was unfair. I felt like he was unloving. And I had all of these struggles and yeah. fights and poking my little finger at God, like, how dare you do this to me? Mm-hmm. Because I felt that there was no life without me being able to go out and do things on my own. And I remember nights when I would be like, God, I can't believe you did this to me. I can't believe you did this to me. You at least owe me a, a, a right to, to, to live a full life if you love me and all that. Yeah. And uh, so that's why I say it's it's been God graciously, patiently molding my heart, changing yeah. my perspective to see that, yes, he does love me. And yes, he can use this um, weakness. I mean, there was a time when I hadn't started using a wheelchair then. Yeah. I could still uh, at least get up and walk and fall, but I would get up and struggle to walk and hold things and... Mm. I would sit and like, God, does it mean I'll end up in a wheelchair? Yeah. I felt like the wheelchair was the worst that was the last thing. Straw. It yeah. was the worst thing that, and I thought I would rather die mm. than live in a wheelchair. You know, it's around the time that I started even contemplating and trying to kill myself because yeah. I was like, I would rather die than end up in a wheelchair. Mm. You know, but the Lord is really gracious. Mm. He in his way, brought me around. First, um, my, my, my testimony is during those days of fighting and telling, no, God, I cannot accept this, he gently brought to my attention other people's life stories through a couple of books that I read, yes. which showed me that, yes, he does do that, and he can use it. Because another thing is that I had a wrong perspective. I felt that strength means being physically there and being able to topple things on your own and call the shots and all that. Uh And at some point, I felt that I was the only one to whom this was being done. I was like, God, why do you let everybody else? I'm not the worst person. Why why is it me? And when I read these stories, the first was entitled, My Son Johnny. My son, Johnny, um, uh, uh, the, the, the couple, I think their name is something, Hargraves, but they were just recounting the story of a son of theirs who was born with severe disabilities. And this is a couple that was thanking God for their son who lived for 24 years on earth, and then he passed. And during those 24 years, he was dependent. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, how can you be grateful for a situation like this? Then the other story is the story of Johnny Erickson Tada. Um, Her testimony has impacted my life greatly because I saw in her, she in her first book, it's about being around the age of 17, 
in a diving accident, losing, becoming quadriplegic as a result of a diving accident and all that. And when I read that book, I was around that age. Mm. So I could really resonate with a lot of the things, the struggles that she was sharing and all that. But the difference between her and me was that she had yielded to the Lord. And she could share Romans 8.28, God causes all things to work together for good. I'm like, well, you can say Mm. that because then I would bring in the reason like, oh, maybe you're in an advanced country where you can go to the hospital. I was still looking for excuses. But after reading those books, a few days after, I really came to realize that well, God is God and I'm not. Yeah. And I should, I saw it like giving him a chance. Yeah. I was like, okay, God, if this is what you can do in other people's lives, here is mine. Let's see what you can do with it. And, and what ends up happening is you realize that when you used to cringe at things like Romans 8.28, it's because your understanding of good was off. Mm. Yeah, my understanding of good was me being in control, me um, accomplishing these dreams and making the world know that I was here. One of my greatest fears, I don't know why, growing up was just the thought of oblivion. Like, how can I make sure that the world knows that Uh, I went through the earth? Yeah. You know, I was like, so if I don't get to be the first at this and do that, does it mean that my existence would be meaningless? Mm. You know, so, uh, but now meaning too has another meaning. Mm. I think that resonates with a lot of people, um, especially in the social media age. Like a lot of people, even if it starts um, with good intentions, even maybe gospel-centered intentions, the temptation is to be known Mm. by humans, by man. Um, and then you, the forgetfulness seeps in that you are known by the one who made by you. By the one who matters. Yeah. Um, you're, you're truly known. If you're a believer. Now, even if you're not a believer, uh, he made you and knows you, but that relationship is severed because of your turning away from him. Right? So, um, but still, uh, to be known by him. I was just talking. I sometimes creep online. Um when I'm watching a video, if I happen to watch it on my phone, on YouTube or something, you can see the comments. And I love listening to movie scores. And there are people who listen to certain movie scores. And they're like, man, this is so incredible. It's um, it's so beautiful. It's And then they you know, try to find the words to describe the composer. Hmm. And I'm like, man, do you know that the feeling you're feeling right now is your heart's desire to worship that like that's what it is. Yeah. It's it's that one piece of eternity that's let marked on you that's trying to worship right now, and you think that that can go on to Another you know the human. person. Yeah. And even when you try to do that, you feel like there's something more. It's like this isn't good enough, you know. And what you're seeking out is the one who made sound. That's the one, not the one who learned to manipulate, mm. manipulate it mm. with the gifts. You're you're seeking to worship the one who made sound. Um. And I can tell you about them. And then, you know, that either sparks good conversation or people start slandering you. But yeah, <laughs> but I think the same the same is true um, when it comes to uh, people's desire to be known. They think that the fame that they're seeking are the eyes of other human beings. And, and then you can talk to the people who get that. 
who succeed. Right. They're the big movie stars, the big success, success, uh, successful individuals. And then you talk to them and it's still something empty. It's like, man, I've got all the human eyes on me, but still there's something there's right. missing. Right. Yeah. Um, so obviously this is black and blurred. Um, and Hilda, it just so happens that you're black. <laughs> well, quick, 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 quick question. Do people refer to each other in Cameroon as black? That's an interesting question because it will not be in the way that you think. Okay. Um, first of all, Cameroon being on this planet Earth has the same definitions like people of a certain skin tone are considered white mm -hmm. and others are considered black. And I, um, with my siblings, we talk about this, like coming up um, in a family that is that big, they, there, there are certain things that are embedded in our culture which look at people with, uh, I guess it's called colorism here, mm. but it, it, it denotes a greater notion of um, looking at things that are good as white. So if I say that, you you pay like a white man, or you do this like a oh, white person. You pay a lot. Seems like yeah, 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 like you're doing very well, mm -hmm. or or you think like you know. Yeah, so yeah. those things you speak uh, like a white you person. Speak, yeah, not not in, in not not in your diction, but just maybe the the way you uh, your thought processes yeah, or, articulate yourself yeah. well. So we've we've tend to just um, put white good. Black bad, mm -hmm. even in my culture, mm -hmm. you know. So in that sense, there is a way that we look at black and white. I see. But there is also because we've gone through colonialism, mm -hmm. um, we still look at things that come from the West at times as better uh, than the things that originate right with there. us. Um, so, so there are all of these various levels mm -hmm. of whiteness right. and blackness and then ov obviously there's colorism where a lot of people feel that the fairer your skin tone is the more beautiful you are the darker it is you know so sometimes black when they say you're really black yeah that that's like an it's like a derogatory word yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, we went through that in school like i mean kids who were very dark got made fun of um so that exists. And then also the white thing. For us, it was like if you desire to get good grades, if you spoke well, um, and it was based on diction too um, for us. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's funny how that transcends uh, nationality. Yeah, it does. That type of thinking. It does, it does. And I think, again, in the age of social media, mm. uh, there are these standards that have been set and everyone wants to – attain it's like okay i have to be like so and so person that i see on social media or so and so influencer mm -hmm. or so and so person that i've seen on tv uh, and it's part of what you're, you're you're describing like people have all of these impossible standards that they're always working towards attaining yeah. not realizing that the real meaning is found mm. elsewhere you know <laughs> it's hard to keep track of the different narratives that form in the in the country today um, because there's always some narrative and then there's a self-defeating narrative that you know whatever um, and so I want to get your thoughts on a few of them especially from the perspective of an African because I don't know if you heard but uh, black is king here in, in the United States Hilda 
Um, and so one, let's start there. When you got here four years ago, when it came down to the race conversation and race relations, what was most shocking to you? What was more perplexing? What were your thoughts as you were kind of like piecing together these different things that you were yeah. seeing in here? I know it, it happens so fast that it's hard to even pin a certain thought to a yeah. particular moment because it's uh, one thing coming up and the other following so, so fast. But, um, and again, it's not so different in my country, Cameroon, and mm -hmm. around the African continent. Mm -hmm. Because what I realize is that um, humans always want to, in a bit to feel better about themselves, mm -hmm. want to make the others look worse. Mm -hmm. It's like we're all, we all really messed up in God's eyes, yeah. but I want to show others that my mess is better than yours. Uh -oh. You know, So even where I come from, we have um, a lot of ethnic groups yeah and that's what i see ethnic groups around the world cameroon is considered africa in miniature because we have over 200 ethnic groups i mean with wow. different um culture um the cultures are similar but you can tell that i'm from one ethnic group and yeah. the other person's from a different the language is different the food is different so all of the things that people identify with by different did you mean better well, I can't say. <laughs> I can't say. So um, coming from such a place, I have learned um, uh, as, as I come to know the Lord that I am also messed up. Mm. I was also messed up, but for the grace and the redemption of, of Christ. Yeah. So I'm not in a place to consider myself any better, black mm. or white, mm -hmm. than another person. Um, um, there are... There are certain things in all of our cultures that we definitely can do better. Because mm -hmm. if I say black is king because I come from Africa, mm -hmm. there are a lot of issues that I can also point out in Africa yeah. which are not going right, just like they are in America, in Europe, and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it draws us back to the gospel. And I think the, the Lord... Um, the Lord really spot on it when he said, what makes a man unclean mm. doesn't come from the outside, yeah, right? right? It right. comes from inside. inside. That's right. It comes from inside. It comes from the heart is what defiles you. You know, if you think about like um, the culmination of things, you think about everybody who plays like a pickup basketball game or who goes through travel basketball leagues or plays high school or college, the culmination of that is the NBA. It's like, yeah, you made it to the NBA. You think about all the conversations today around blackness and about what it, identity and about, you know, standing up for blackness and fighting for justice, social justice. The culmination of that, I would say, is being from Africa. I think that's a flawed ideology, <laughs> but that's what it is. Started, like Marcus Garvey had this this principle of going back, going. Think about that. Going back. I'm from Baltimore. Meanwhile, if I go to Africa, it's me going back. And, uh, and you're, you're, you're speaking with an African who is left Africa That's, and moved to another oh, country. Uh oh. Uh oh. And and you can you can see myriads of Africans around the world. Oh. No, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to go back to Africa right. if you choose that for yourself. Yeah. But Africa is not the Garden of Eden. Whoa. Africa Whoa. is wait, not wait, heaven. Wait, 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 Hilda. When we do things like that, we let it pause real quick and we let people marinate on what was just said, okay? 
Let them let them chew that real quick. I need you to say that statement one more time. Okay, you're not gonna just you're not gonna yeah. just spit those things and then move on. Okay, say that one yeah, and, more time. And, and I want to make sure that I balance it. Africa is not paradise, mm-hmm. nor is the West. No, because there are also people in Africa who are like, yeah. if I could just make mm. it to, and you see that. In the news every day, people dying in the seas. Mm. And I know there are, everyone has a reason why they leave. But sometimes it's just because of the notion that if I make it there, then I'm in paradise. Okay. Yeah. You know, so the whole earth belongs to the Lord. Mm. The, whole, the whole earth has its issues. And we're just trying to get by, trusting that the Lord gives us wisdom and grace. Yeah. But to elevate any place on this earth yeah. and feel that you will get the ultimate satisfaction or you'll feel like, ooh, finally, yeah. this is it. You'll be disappointed. A conversation that once began with uh, dwell, dealing with reality, with truth, right? I think the civil rights movement and the even before that, the fighting against slavery, these are realities that existed in this country um, that needed to be fought against with truth, right? Uh, and that has been devolved to, uh, it seems like just people taking life for granted and saying, I want this other thing because life here. Do, from your perspective, do you think that black Americans specifically probably take for granted what it means to live in the United States? Well, I can't speak for black Americans. Mm-hmm. I'll let you do that. Okay. But what I can say is that um, having lived here, I see that there are a lot of things that we can be grateful for. Mm. And having lived in Africa, there are a lot of things that we can be grateful for as well. And to this point on slavery, um, a few years ago, I had been hearing things in my family like, um, a lot of um, our families are polygamous. Mm-hmm. So my grandfather had several wives. Wow. Like his father, like my granduncles and all that. So I know of a certain part of the family where um, there was an issue of someone being referred to as a slave. Mm. And I heard that not just once. And at one point, I decided to speak to my father about it like, what is this? Because we used to hear about slavery being um, Africans forced against their will, mm-hmm. bought uh, by the white man, taken across the oceans and yeah. brought to, to the West. Yeah. But there is another perspective of slavery that needs to be talked about, mm-hmm. which, is? which is what Africans did to other Africans first. Oh. And secondly, slavery within the African continent. I'm telling you this in my own family. What my father told me was that actually this great-granduncle was brought in as a slave. Even though um, slavery was no longer practiced in the family, there would be instances where people get mad, uh, mad at each other and someone would insult their, um, that great-granduncle's descendants as a slave. So you can see the stain of slavery affects all of us. Yeah, man. It does. I, I know of friends um, uh, who, a friend of mine tells me how in her family, they know the stories of how their, I think their grandfather or great-grandfather used to trade in slaves and some of the things that they would do with the, the slaves when they took them out to be bought and those were not bought and on their way back, 
you know so yeah. it, that, my point is not that slavery is good in the west yeah, or right. not right. it's just that again the nature of sin in us mm. causes us to do all of these things uh, and and um you you talked about truth the light of truth has to shine in all amen. of our lives amen you know something that frustrates me and that i've heard multiple times not even just in the you know more immediate context but all throughout my life you know as a christian who is black is that people show disdain for responding to the reality of racism and slavery with the recognition of it being sin. They think that that is a uh, demotion or it's a, um, I don't know, a, uh, it shrinks the significance of what, of what, what would is. they rather call it? Oh, they'd rather call it hatred by white people. See, they think that if you call it sin, then you won't be able to address the people group that promulgated the slavery and the racism in this mm. country. And so then what you necessarily have to do is you have to block out the reality that you just pointed out in Africa. You can't even talk about the fact that when we even learn our history about the country, we only talk about the slave trade, um, the transportation, and then landing. Because you can't talk about where the settlers got the slaves from. Mm -hmm. We can't talk about that. And you can't talk about abolition. That's exactly what I was about to say. What do you want to say about that? I didn't want to talk about that. I wanted to go back to the African um, context, which I'm a little bit familiar with, mm -hmm. um, to say that even now, one of the things we are reckoning with in my country is the issue of tribalism. Uh-oh. It is different than slavery, but it can be just as bad. Whoa. Um, um, in Cameroon, um, we have a conflict going on now. Just because sometimes one group feels like they can marginalize another group. One group feels like they are the chosen one. So you see, all of these oh things goodness, play Hilda, out. And you are dropping bombs right now. I know that's probably the wrong language, but man, that how does that not describe what we kind of see brewing here? You know, yeah. So the tribal is right. Yeah. The tribal tribalism that is brewing here yeah. and around the world. You know. Yeah. Um, so it's we need to we need the right diagnosis. Mm -hmm. We are really, really to use your American words, messed up. <laughs> <laughs> we need <laughs> we need the Lord's grace. Yes, we need we do. His light. Yes, we, we do. do. And I think um, going back to that pet peeve of people not wanting to hear its race. I hear that from, I mean, not, not wanting to hear it sin. I hear that from Christians. I hear that from Christians. Mm. And, and it's not because I, am, I want to fight vigorously or rigorously for diagnosing it as sin. I want to fight rigorously for providing the actual cure. You can only provide the actual cure if you like what you said, you have the right diagnosis. So the reason why we're seeing this foolishness today in this country regarding black and white is because we've diagnosed it as a white issue. Mm. So black has to be the cure. You know, as you speak, um, I'm just thinking about how the Lord responded to issues similar to this in his day. Mm. And people would want the Pharisees to be seen in a certain light. And they mm -hmm. were really bad. Yeah. The Lord called that out usually. Yeah. But there were moments when the people would be stupefied that he went into a Pharisee's home and ate with them. Yeah. And Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. Yeah. yeah. You know, so again, 
Tax collectors. Tax collectors. And they were like, this man was thinking if he only knew who he did. And the Lord turned around and told him, I do know. Yeah. I do know. You know, so again, we need to be looking, as Christians, we need to be looking for the solutions. Yeah. We need to turn to the Lord. Um, yes, acknowledge that there are problems, mm-hmm. but instead of just pouring more fuel on the fire, right. we need to be bringing healing and redemption, Yeah, as Jesus did. The desire to see the problem I'm on board with, and I've been on board with, as Christians, we always should be on board with, but like what you said is key, the diagnosis is flawed. And then you're allowing the voices who have a incorrect or inaccurate diagnosis, you're lifting those voices up. Mm. And then you want to know what makes me the most angry is that churches are getting their marching orders from them. The ones whose voices are lifted up with the wrong diagnosis and in churches are following and reacting to them. It's like, man. Yeah, it's, it's really sad. And it plays into this issue of wanting to look relevant to the culture. That's right. That's right. Um, almost paying allegiance to the culture rather than to Christ. Yeah. Well, what you brought up about abolition is something I've been talking with people lately um, because it, it's important. We have, I think I would be bold enough. I might maybe not 100% confident to say it this way yet, but I might be there. To say that I think that we have elevated the significance of the wrong aspect of slavery in this country. What I mean by that is my entire life I have heard the stories, I've remembered every year about the history and the evils of slavery. And in 2022, we're still talking about it. There's still documentaries about it. And we're talking about the history and the evils of slavery. But I think that when you juxtapose that to the way the world was operating and the evils in the world, slavery in this country, as disgusting and as reprehensible as it is, was still on par with the evils in this world. The one thing that is unprecedented that happened in this country was abolition. Hmm. And we don't, as a country, we don't celebrate that. You know, that's kind of just an interruption to the thing that was so evil in the country. But but let's get back and talk about the, the evil of the slavery. And we don't actually, even as a church, the church led that. Right. But there are people who, in order to feel better, want to hold on to the fact that slavery still exists. Yeah. And in a sense, it does. All around the world. Yeah, as we live in sin, it does. Oh, yeah, man, that's um, slavery. Yeah, so we don't preach against it though. We, we we ought to preach against that kind of slavery and mm. how true freedom comes only by knowing the Lord. Yeah, amen. Amen. Um another aspect of this country that I would love your perspective on is um something that I've kind of matured my thinking on growing up is recognizing how I feel like and and I think many other black Americans feel like a prop in the conversations of the country where you use the narratives or the realities of what it means to be a black American. And you have people kind of like trading one says, well, no, you're oppressed. And the other says, well, no, they're free. And, but, but by all means, it's like, but you don't get to speak. You don't get to form an opinion. You don't get to believe how you feel about those things. Um, and so I think that that also exists when it comes to the narrative of refugee. Hmm. First of all, that term is used in place of persons that makes me sick but without me going further when you got here and then even up to now 
how do you view that conversation? You know, the idea of refugees doesn't make me sick so mm-hmm. much. Just because I try to see it as a metaphor of what the Bible says about mm. us being pilgrims mm-hmm. here on earth and seeing how um, many of the people that we respect in the Bible at some point were refugees. Yeah, that's true. Just to say that it is a reality that affects every human. Um, you could be fortunate that at a certain point in the history of your country that doesn't happen, but it's never so far mm. it, that it could happen. Um, you know, so with that perspective, I'm like, okay, Lord, if this is what it is now, let's deal with it. Let's, yeah. let's live with it. Um, it goes back for me into what, what really aches me is the, that idea of looking at people as others, mm. uh, the other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's painful, you know, because it makes you feel like, the, the idea is to make you feel less human. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm speaking now as someone who lives with a disability, yeah, a refugee, oh, a woman. So I check a lot of those yeah, boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't want to be seen as the other. I want to get up each day celebrating that it's another day that the Lord has given for me to live, to know him, to serve him, to, to reflect his glory. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where I am doing that. Mm. I mean, being um, estranged from your place of birth is nothing, nothing new. Yeah. And some people are choosing to go to other places. Some people, it is not really a choice. But I believe that what the Bible encourages is to show compassion, to love people, uh, uh, to give people a chance because you could be that person in the next moment. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I haven't really felt, I haven't really had instances of um, uh, uh, being treated differently probably because I don't really go out there. Mm. But I, I speak with people, some of them my siblings who, who go out to work and they feel like they're not really accepted in the society mm. because people see them as, well, that African. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, this is for Africans and all that. Yeah. But who are you, you know, to, to, to say, to, I mean, to... to to determine what the value yeah. of a, another human is. That's right. You know, so the upside for me is to know that my identity doesn't lie in where I come from or where I live now. Mm. And uh, it's my father's world, yeah. in a sense. Yeah, right, uh, right, right. Yeah, so I believe that wherever I am, I can trust that he is leading me through. And I pray that I can be an example to other people of seeing that um, we value because... God chose to make us in his image and likeness. Amen. I don't value because I'm the child of a president or yeah. I am the ch- the richest person in the world. Yeah. My value doesn't lie in all of that. It lies in the fact that Christ has redeemed me, God created me in his image, and, and that's it. Yeah. Are, were you with us when CNN wanted to do that kind of like, I don't know, peace on, on the church? No, I wasn't. But I came back and I, when I when I wanted to join the church, I I watched that. Did you? Okay, I, I did. Yeah, and you did you did you see my three second cameo in it? I don't remember what it was. Oh man, that's <laughs> even proof. So here's the thing, Hilda. This is what's interesting about that. 
they were here recording with me for me to be in that. And they were here for about two hours. Um, you remember our brother Muhammad? Yeah, he, he was staying here and um, uh, he was just fighting with alcoholism and our church did an incredible job of just loving him and he stayed with multiple people um, and he found his way here as well. Um, and so because our church was the quote unquote refugee church, that's what people kept talking about. And it, it, it made me cringe. Um, and it made me uh, a, a little bit upset. I remember I would have friends. You remember my sister Channely? Yeah. Yeah. So she would come and do worship for us a couple of times. And um, I remember her after one sermon. Um, she came up to me and she said, how come this church talks so poorly about the people's homes? Like they're right here. And you're, you're speaking so poorly about them. Like the countries from which they... Both. The work. countries and the, the living state right now, where they are. To, because, you know, in church planning culture, you have to build the need for these churches to be built. And the way you build that need is by in, un, unintentionally um, degrading where people are and where they come from. And we, she and I and my family, we come from the terrible inner city of baltimore where murders and everything else takes place and that's what people talk about baltimore but we love it that's our home and so she was asking like man it talks so negatively about their home like up front that's the way you present it and i'm like man i know what are you, what are yeah. you about to say something? i'm smiling about that because what you define as home can be very relative mm, that's true It can be very subjective. Yeah. Uh, I I have been to certain places where even by the Cameroonians that are like, whoa, how can these people be happy here? Mm. But they are. Mm-hmm. I went, um, once we're traveling with a TV crew and a medical team and we went into this community where the, a child was born and there were no traces. The child was put on leaves. Wow. Yeah, these people are celebrating and dancing and living a life. Mm, joy. Joyful. You know, that kind of humbles me. I'm like, Lord, what is the value of a baby? Yeah. I mean, I know this conversation is going on in this country now. What is the value of a human life? Mm. Is it the fact that I am born in a palace or that I can drive this or that kind of car, mm. I can live in this or that kind of house, yeah. or just the fact that you gave it life. Yeah, yeah. What's beautiful about it? Yeah. <laughs> What's beautiful about you it? You know, Man. so it's, I know there is a, a desire to raise people out of poverty, mm-hmm. which is a good thing, mm-hmm. but the beautiful thing is that God knows how to take care of his own. Mm. And we ought to be causing people to entrust themselves to the Lord more Yeah. than they are to our riches. Yeah, yeah, man. Mm, to be able to, and then you can, you get rid of those layers and you actually start seeing people. Yeah. People. In this country, even by the church, we see causes, narratives, yeah. agendas, and it might be inadvertent. And there are some people who are just infiltrators who actually are just politicizing church, the church. Um, 
but people are so blind and they, they, they don't know that they speak about people as causes. This is the cause I'm for, you know, this is the narrative I'm trying to fight. This is the yeah. agenda. And in this, in the midst, in the midst of this two hours of talking with these CNN interviewers, they kept asking me about what drew my wife and I to bring a refugee, a refugee, yeah. a refugee. Yeah, and I said, Hey, that's my brother. Yeah. His name's Muhammad. Yeah. And even if he wasn't my brother, we have been brought in by Christ. So we bring people in. Before Muhammad, there was a white guy living here. Before him, there was a white woman living here. This is what we do because they're people. And, and I think that got me people. cut off. I got, that got me cut yeah. out of here. You know, uh, another thing that comes to mind for me is um, the only reason I would want to help someone tell their story is maybe if there's a language barrier. Mm. Um, another reason why people just keep saying, oh, refugees and this and that is because uh, people don't get to tell their stories. Mm. I don't tell you how um, my mother carries me, struggles with me, just like your mother did with mm. you. I don't tell you how uh, we come out as a community when there is a difficulty and try to deal with those issues. You know, I don't tell you how we struggle to get an education to make our lives better. Mm. You know, so there is, I know there is a difficulty when you come here not being able to speak English and tell your yeah. story, yeah. but that doesn't make you any less of a human being. Yeah. I, I feel that Americans need to be grateful, yes, mm -hmm. that you live in a country with so many material blessings, but also humble mm -hmm. yourselves to the fact Amen. that it is God who provides and Amen. he chooses to give to anyone. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, we, we always, as Africans, take pride in the fact that at some point, Africa was considered the center of civilization. Mm -hmm. The proof is there. If you go to Egypt, there's Alexandria. Yeah. If you go to, to Mali, you talk about Timbuktu, you talk about these kingdoms that took place in Africa. Yeah. The humbling thing is that God alone reigns over all of this. Yeah. And because you are a superpower now, tomorrow you may not be. You know, so, uh, yeah, it, uh, so it just gives us perspective as humans. Yeah. And uh, maybe when you see someone who is struggling, um, you can show more empathy right. towards that person. Yeah. But the greatest thing for me is to know that, yes, God is sovereign. Yeah. That really gives me boldness. Like, I can be living with nothing, absolutely nothing, yeah. and still be able to raise my voice and praise, to raise my voice and tell someone, my life matters, yeah. not because of anything I can give, but just because God chose to make it that way. Mm. We, um, uh, man, I just lost my train of thought. That was very good. That was very good. Um, I remember going through uh, what I brought up earlier that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and being talking about what it means to be poor in spirit. Uh, because a, a huge surge in the American church is to care for the poor. Um, and once again, instead of that being a biblical principle of selflessness, um, it's been Americanized where, one, you have to end poverty, and two, you got to make sure people see you do it. Mm. Right? So you got to post about it, and you got to do big initiatives, and you got to report on how successful it was. Uh, 
and, and they have no idea how far away from scripture that is. Right. But um, addressing the first part where you are the hands that are going to lift people out of poverty rather than remembering them, I highlighted two things. One, that the creator of the universe decided, decided to live an impoverished life. He became poor. Because apparently there's beauty there. Yeah. Number two, like what you pointed out, is the, uh, the communities in Africa, that there are people who are coming from a lot of money that can go to an impoverished city in this, in this country or anywhere else, and they'll find joy that they've never seen before. Because there are people who have joy mm. in poverty. There are people who know how to depend on the Lord in poverty. <laughs> right? There are people who know how to cry out and rely on the Lord yeah. who are in poverty. There's much learning to be done by people who are impoverished. So you're going, and, and to, to, to remember the, those who are impoverished is to remember them, to know that they're people. It's not to see your life compared to theirs and say, okay, I'm going to use my hands to fix you. That's not the point. It's not the point. But I think we've lost that. Um, <clears throat> well, we're nearing the end of it, Hilda. Um, I don't know why we haven't done this sooner. I think because we had the scheduling thing. That's why Darren's not here right now. But um, we're definitely going to have to do it again. We're, yeah. We're there's missing, much to discuss. Missing Darren. Yeah, there's I much to discuss. Um, but before we end, I do want to I do want to highlight something because I want to take an opportunity to, like, we've, you, you you and I have been um, just growing more and more in relationship ever since you got here. What was it two years ago? We yes. we met each other two two years ago, right before the pandemic. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Maybe a little bit sooner, maybe a little bit more before that. So it's maybe maybe. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, two maybe, and a half yeah, years two and a half ago. years ago. Yeah, um, and I have seen all the things that you have been wrestling with and struggling with as far as needs and stuff like that. And you are kind of sort of like me. Where you'll just stay silent about it. <laughs> you'll stay silent about it. And so I'm going to do the very opposite of staying silent right now. Because in addition to you being silent about your needs and struggles, you'll do things like paint beautiful paintings for me and for my children that uh, I've shown and I've posted on our social media. And I'll post again to remind people and show people that. But there is a need that you have right now because... With your van that you drive around it, it needs to be suited for your wheelchair. And there's just specific type of specialties that are needed with that. And yours that you have now is kind of in a disagreement with you where it doesn't, it decides to <laughs> it work and it just it doesn't, doesn't collaborate with you. It, yeah, it doesn't collaborate with you. And so obviously, I'm not promising you that this is the Oprah Winfrey show, but I want to use our listeners right now and say, hey, I'm going to start a GoFundMe. For anyone who feels led to contribute to your ability to enhance or even buy a new van. And we'll see what the Lord does. And so for our listeners, um, I'm going to start that GoFundMe. Since I haven't started it right now, I can't really give you an address, but I will post it. But use this episode. Um, pray um, that the Lord will provide. And then if he leads you to contribute to that provision, thank you very much. Um, wow. But let's let's tackle a need for a sibling in the faith the way the church does it. Um, and I look at generosity that way, not as compulsion. Don't feel uh, obligated. However, we live as if Eden is back and mm. there's plenty to go around. Mm. That And so that's where generosity comes from. And that's what I want to do for you. Um, and I want to also invite other brothers and sisters who join us on this podcast and listen to do that as well. So 
um, I'll do that. And, and I, I pray that that will be a blessing to you and, and, and help you. <laughs> what a last four words. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm so grateful. And I probably should also tell you how much, um, how grateful I am mm. that um, you and your family have been a blessing to me. Um, another reality, even mm. when we choose not to be called refugee, another reality of being a refugee is that you're kind of uprooted from everything that you know, mm. from my job, from my home, yeah, from yeah, yeah. everything. And um, with the needs of being a person with a disability, yeah. it can be quite daunting. Mm. And the little rebel in me would always not want <laughs> to depend on other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, Lord, if you want to give it, just give. And yeah. he's teaching me a part of that dependence, a part of seeing his strength in my weakness is... Um, Letting other people be a blessing. Mm. So I'm I'm truly grateful for anyone who would think about it, pray for it, and yeah. uh, grateful to you for bringing that up. And I I can testify to you that God is faithful. Uh, amen. It, it brings me chills to think that for four years I don't work, I don't have a source of income, and some days I'm like, Lord, I can't believe yeah. that. I have everything I need. Mm. It's 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 almost scary, mm. you know, because I, I used to be so protective of like, oh, my little salary, Lord, mm. I can't let go of this. Mm. And then to see that the Lord is giving me much more than I I can imagine. Yeah. It just blows my mind, you know. Yeah. So I'm I'm truly grateful. Mm. True thank you, Lord. I'm Absolutely. truly grateful. Amen. Amen. Well, Lastly, because you also aren't going to do this, I'm going to do it for you. Um, what she mentioned is former jobs and things like that. Hilda is a phenomenal writer, you all. Um, she has a book. Uh, what's it called, Grace? Yeah. Overflowing Gratitude. Overflowing Gratitude. If you want to grow in understanding gratitude and seeing maybe how it lacks in your own life, read her book, Overflowing Gratitude. You can search it on Amazon. Um, is there anywhere else? It's just on Amazon. Amazon. Okay. You can search it on Amazon um, and buy that. And I'm telling you, um, it will enrich your understanding of gratitude. Um, and it'll convict you too. So do that. Um, you have blog posts. Where where can people find your writings? The Color of Grace is what I call the blog post. Okay. Color Still of Grace. Still working on it. Yeah. Yeah. Color of Grace. Um, and you're going to start seeing some of her things. I'm going to post them on our website. I know I don't talk about our website often because we just need to fix it and make it better. But I, I want to put those blogs on there um, for people to read. So, guys, um, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Hilda, thank you very much for joining us here on Black and Blurred. It's it's my pleasure. It's a joy to be back in a studio. Yeah, I'll be yeah, in a yeah, makeshift yeah. studio. But we'll have to do it it's, again. It's my joy. We Thank you, Brandon. Thank you. And I hope that the next time I was looking forward to meeting Darren. Yeah. Because he's always like the more latent voice <laughs> when, when the, the podcast is going on. So yeah. I hope next time Darren will be here. But thank you and God bless you. God bless your listeners. Thank you guys for tuning into this episode of Black and Blur, where you are guaranteed to hear one of two things, our humble opinion or the facts. Holler at us.